Hear the word of God from a selection of passages from 1 Samuel, starting with chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel came together, gathered together, and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected but they have rejected me as their king, as they've done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And now to chapter 10. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. And then the people shouted, long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. And to chapter 13. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church family. Good to see your beautiful faces. 
Hope you're doing well today, and I hope you're enjoying this lovely, cool weather. Anybody else? Cool weather enjoying? I'm loving it. I'm a fan. I'm from Florida, where it's, there really aren't any seasons. You have either super hot or kind of hot. And uh, here, I love the fact that we got four full seasons, although some of my friends from up north would say we really don't get to experience winter, like not really experience winter, but this is enough winter for me, Florida boy, that we get, I'm just saying. I love this season. Anybody else love fall? Yeah? I love fall. I love the football. I love the cooler weather. I love the leaves falling. I love how pretty it looks. I even am okay with all the pumpkin stuff. I'm okay with it. Sometimes I'll even order it every once in a while. I don't know why. And why do we only have pumpkin this time? I don't know, but I like it. I'm also loving this season here at Waypoint Church with all of you. We're in an interesting, kind of growing rediscovery season here. Today at the end of the service, we're adding new members into our family. Our family and our mission here, and I'm so excited about it. Not because our numbers are growing, but because we get to see more people say yes to the mission of Waypoint Church, the mission of advancing God's kingdom here. I love this season of growth because we're adding more people to the mission. We're in the process rediscovering our call and our heart for the vision God has given us. Hear me very well, Waypoint Church. Our desire is never to be a club where we feel comfortable and have all our needs met. Let me say that again. Our desire here at Waypoint Church is never to be a club where we feel comfortable and a place where we have all our desires or needs met. No. Waypoint Church wants so desperately to be a body of local believers who desire to live in such God-honoring community that it attracts the non-believers to its kingdom. Waypoint Church wishes to live with such passionate intentionality that we're the very means of God's kingdom advancing in this place. Uh, People, I absolutely love the fact that God has called us together for this mission. And I don't know why, with the changing of the seasons, with this fall, I just felt compelled in my heart to just say how much I love all of you guys. And how excited that I am that we get to do this thing called the Christian life, spiritual maturity, advancing the kingdom together. Now here's the deal, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. When there's times in life when you see organizations doing well, often it's organizations who are, you know, like-minded, very similar types of people going together after the same uh, vision and passion. When it gets harder, when people are different coming together. But here's the beautiful thing about this church and what God does. God's plan is to get diverse people to come into the community with the one underlying, most profound identifier being the same thing. It's that they are known and they are loved and they pursue the things of God. God, what what an incredible opportunity we have here at Waypoint Church. To be a bunch of diverse people coming together with that one underlying truth about us that we are beloved of God, called to his purpose. But we get to be diverse people coming together to accomplish his purposes. So, with that said, I just want to share how much I love this season. I love seeing new faces, meeting new people, 
hearing new stories. Because here's the amazing thing, too. At Waypoint Church, we always say something called Semper Reformanda, which means always reforming. And what that means is our core values of who we are in Christ and what we're after, the vision, the initial vision, that's, that's going to stay true. But it's always reforming the way we look because, guys, let me tell you something. Every time a new person is added to a church, it changes just a little bit. And it's beautiful. And you guys are making it beautiful. So, a little side note, just want to start off with that. I just like complimenting people first, just what I like to do. I'm going to come down on you guys, I'm just kidding, man. My people, we're continuing our series in the book of Samuel, and I want you to remember that the book of Samuel, first and second Samuel, was actually just one book, but due to like scroll sizes back in the day, it was split into two. It went alongside first and second Kings as well, so these were books that kind of went along together, and it tells the story of God's faithfulness and his promises that he made to his people. Last week, we were briefly introduced to Hannah, a woman from a small town, middle of nowhere person who was yearning in long suffering and prayer for a child. Eventually, Hannah had a child of miracle and dedicated him to the Lord. And this child was named Samuel. And this Samuel was a child of promise and was going to come and he was to lead the nation as a judge, the last judge, and very first prophet. Samuel was God's answer to rescuing and restoring his plan to work on behalf of his people. Now we're getting towards the end of Samuel's life. We've read in our scripture today. He said he was getting old, which I love that, by the way. The people in the Bible are so much bolder. They just walked up to Samuel, you're old, dude. You know, we, don't, we don't start off conversations like that, do we? We don't walk up to somebody and just be like, you're old and your children are terrible. That's what they said to Samuel, right? He's very bold. He's a judge and a prophet, and that's what they say to him. I'm just saying, that's just bold people. And that's what they say. They say, you're old, your kids are terrible, and we all know it. Sam, you know. Come on, let's be real. You know how terrible your kids are. And so what's, that's the question that arises. What's the succession plan? The people are getting nervous. Who's going to lead us? Who's going to protect us? Who's going to lead us when Samuel's gone? What's going to happen to us? They ignore the fact that God himself has always come through for them. They ignore his deeds in the past, and they demand a king instead to fight their battles for them. But Samuel warns them that the king would be bad for them. He reminds them that their God is their king, and they can trust him. But they refuse. They want a king that they can see, the one that looks like their expectations, the one that looks like all the nations and the nations around them. All around, the people around them have kings leading. And I want you guys to understand, this whole area that's around them, we've got to talk about there's a lot of different tribes, a lot of different people groups, a lot of different um, kingdoms, if you will. And they all have kings leading them. So that's what they want. They, like, they all have kings. We want a king too. So they're asking for a king. And you guys know that attitude, right? We want to be like everyone else. It's the attitude you see in your kids. You know, your kids want to have what everybody else has. You see it in yourself, don't you? You want what everybody else has. They seem so happy. I, I, I want that too. They have a nice house with a dog and a fence. I want that too, right? When I was a kid, everybody had a Nintendo 64 or Sega Genesis or all these video games. I still remember the day. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just going to share it with you anyway. I still remember the day that my friend got a Sega Genesis. That really ages me. You guys are like, what's a Sega Genesis? Sega Genesis was awesome. Right? Who here has owned, ever owned a Sega Genesis? Thank you. Thank you, people. All right. We want what everybody else has, right? Even if what you have may be awesome, I still... I, I, one of my favorite stories, my favorite examples of this, I kid you not, is one day I remember I was playing with a ball, just a simple ball as a kid, and my friend had this brand new Nintendo 64. All he wanted to do was play with the ball, 
because I was having so much fun playing with that ball. We always want what we don't have. We always want what somebody else has. And what these people were doing, they demanded what they didn't have, but they felt they demanded what they didn't want. They went against the word of God. They demanded a king. So God gives them what they're asking for. And literally God tells Samuel that they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting me, their God, as their king. But so give them what they want. Give them a king. So Samuel is called to go find this king, and they go, and he looks out, and he finds this guy. He finds Saul, who stands head and shoulders above everybody else. Now, yes, it means he's tall, but literally, it's more it means he looks the part. He's the giant of a man who looks a royal-looking man, a powerful guy, a guy that you look at and be like, yeah, that guy should be the king. Right? That's the image you have for like a King Arthur or a King Aragorn or whatever it may be. You have this image of like what a king should look like. That's what it should look like. Saul. Let's go with him. That's the guy that if you want to go to battle and you're like, somebody's got to fight for me and he's going to champion me and he's going to be the one that leads the way, I'm going to follow that guy. And honestly, Saul starts off pretty decent. He does. He starts off doing things kind of the right way. He's hiding a little bit at first, but they find him and they name him king. And he's surrounded by some zealous people, it said. And then he fought a few battles. He gives credit to God and he wins. And it seems to be going okay. So you're like, okay. It wasn't the right decision. They shouldn't have demanded a king, but Saul seems to be doing okay. But he rescues the city of Jabesh and he's confirmed as king, but then something happens. What happens is Saul is now embattled and gets the Philistines, and they're assembled to fight Israel, and they have 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And as they're counting there, as they're engaging in battle, Saul is waiting in Gilgal. And when he's there, it literally says in verse 7, it literally says he's, he's, he's shaking, he's, he's quaking with fear. So Saul, one Gilgal, he's, he's fearful, he's, he's shaking, he's, he's, he's overcome by the fear of these Philistines, this, this battle that he's about to face. And Saul waits seven days, but Samuel doesn't come. And Saul's here waiting, and he's like, okay, I've been in battle before, I know I can win, but I can only win if I have the... The power on my side, if you will, right? The power that Samuel represents, the power of this God on my side. If I have this power of God on my side, I can win the battle, but, I, I need, but Samuel's not here. What am I going to do? How do I conjure up this power? So he's waiting for Samuel, but Samuel's not showing up. And his people are getting restless. Saul's afraid. His people are getting restless. His people are starting to leave and starting to abandon him. So Saul takes matters into his own hands. Instead of waiting for Samuel to lead the offering and the sacrifice, lead them into the presence of God, he takes matters into his own hands because he's scared. His people are grumbling and starting to run away, so he offers sacrifices himself, right? What else is he supposed to do? And just as he finished, Samuel arrives. And Samuel arrives and says, what have you done? Saul says, listen, buddy, Samuel, that he calls him Samuel. He says, he says, Sammy, what did you want me to do? The, the, the men are scattering. You didn't come at the set time. The Philistines were assembling. I thought the Philistines were going to come down on me. I needed the Lord's favor, and I felt like compelled to offer the burnt sacrifice. I know I'm not supposed to. I know that's not the will of God. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I need the power, right? I need the, the token. This is not how this operates, right? I offer sacrifice. I get the power. No, that's not how it works. And Samuel says back to him, you've done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command of the Lord God gave you. 
And so here's this thing. Saul's operating out of fear. He's saying, wait a minute, I need God here. I need the power of God here, so maybe I can stir it up. Maybe I can bring it about. Maybe I can conjure it up. Maybe I can rub the lamp. Maybe I can get the genie to come out. Maybe I can have this totem of power and, and, and do something with it. So without Samuel, who is the right person, the right means that God has called to enact the sacrifice, he says, well, maybe I'll just do it on my own. Because I'm afraid Samuel might not show up. So he does it. He knows it's the wrong thing. He knows it's not the, the order in which he's supposed to do things. He knows he's not supposed to lead the sacrifice. But he does it anyway. And then he started to lose the Lord's favor here. Because he acted in his own way, in his own power. And this sets the stage for what will eventually come a rivalry of King David as a replacement for King Saul. It sets the stage of Saul's source of jealousy and his insecurity about his kingship. And the chosenness of God upon another person, namely the son of Jesse, King David. And it shows that the kings that we choose are not worthy. The kings that we choose other than God are not good enough. They might look to part, but in his insecurity and fear, was not able to be the king that they needed. And we do the same. We might look for heroes. We might look for political leaders. We might look for others to save us, but they never will because they're not good enough. There's only one true king that God, that was meant to be the king, our king. So this morning, I just gave you a quick overview of the story of the rise and started fall of King Saul. And that's the point of this message in Samuel. That's the point of these passages, is that you demanded a king, well, here's your king, but man will not suffice. You're, what you image that you have of a right king is not enough. Only God can be your king, but he'll still provide for you. That's the overall message, but I want us to get something else from the passage today. I want us to learn a lot about ourselves from what Saul's response to fear was. He did not do what was commanded. He lost because he acted out of fear. Our people, can I tell you something? That's what I believe is something that we do all the time. I love these passages. So clearly it shows that Saul was trembling in fear. In his fear, it led to sin. So what happened here? What was the process that happened in Saul? He looked around. He saw a host of enemies around him. He saw their power and their might, and he was afraid. And he knew his only recourse, his only source of power, his arms and his might alone wasn't good enough. He needed more. So he decided, well, I need to make this might come into play in my schedule, in my timing. So he takes matters into his own hands. Instead of waiting on Samuel, waiting on God, he operated outside of God's plan, God's ordained methodology because of fear. He didn't trust. As a matter of fact, he went further than that. He, he people pleased. He was so worried about losing people that he did what it took to keep them. That was one of his major issues. He's, as people started scattering, people started leaving, he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, uh, what am I going to do here? Uh, Samuel's not here. King Saul, in his insecure, fear and insecurity, was willing to do whatever it takes to make sure his people didn't leave. So maybe if they thought he had the will of God, maybe if they saw that he led this sacrifice, that the will of God, the power of God will be there, they'll stick around. He thought, I can't afford to lose these people. He's, even though the army's already more powerful, the limited amount of soldiers I already have, I can't afford to lose them. And can I tell you something, just as a side note, one of the great examples of this I see happening, it happens so often in churches, actually. I've known many a church planter, many a pastor, who maybe saw people starting to leave or trickling out of their congregation and thought, no, 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 I can't do anything to keep them. Do you guys hear me? You guys know what I'm talking about? I can do anything to win them. And let me, let me sacrifice, let me compromise, let me say whatever it takes to please people. Can I tell you something, my people? 
I love you guys so much. But if my end goal and aim is to please you, then I should no longer be your pastor. Do you hear me? If my end game is to keep you from leaving here or keep you from unleashed to whatever God calls you to do, if I don't trust God with, with our church, then I should no longer be your pastor. I don't want to keep you anywhere. I want you to go where the will of God calls you to go, and you have the freedom to do that. But I want to also know that I need to speak to please God. Does that make sense? You guys with me on that? My people, we don't do, don't we do that all the time in our many spheres of life? Don't we worry what people think about us so we are hesitant to say certain things or hesitant to call out sin or hesitant even to, to love people well because we're so afraid of people pleasing sometimes. And I say that because I am the ultimate people pleaser. You guys know this about me. Hello, Lawrence, people pleaser. That's who I am. But when you live to please people, what you're doing is you're creating more rules and regulations, more shackles upon yourself. And it's a bondage. It entraps you, it enslaves you. You're enslaved to the people that you're trying to please. And one of the most freeing things that I could ever tell you as a people pleaser is that you're only called to please God and here's God's word to you that you're more loved than you could ever imagine. And in Christ, he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Does that not free you? To look and to respond and say, I'm loved, I'm freed, I'm pleasing to my God. And now the way you serve and please other people, may that be out of an overflow, not out of slavery, but out of joyful freedom. Can you now serve other people and please other people? Do you see the difference? Out of fear, Saul swapped places with God and said, let me try to take matters into my own hands. Out of fear, which seems illogical because out of fear you should often give to God, but we often try to take control away from God. Am I right? Have you ever felt afraid and scared? I'm sure you have it all in our own way, right? There's so many things that lead us to fear and anxiety in our lives right now. Let me tell you, the most, most of my life, I, I've not known true fear, except like when my cousin made me watch a horror movie as a young child. That's the only time I've been like really afraid. Most of my life, honestly, I've, I've, I'm still traumatized by that, by the way. If you have older, mean cousins, don't let them let you watch evil horror movies when you're a kid. But that was just me. And if you're watching this, my cousins, I forgive you. <laughs> but honestly, in my 20s, if you would have asked me well, if I was ever fearful, I probably would have answered, no, not really. Didn't really fear much of anything. But man, then I had children. And now I know fear and anxiety in a different way than what I was used to. I'm just gonna be honest about it. I never thought that would be my case. But I had kids and I've never been more scared in my life sometimes. Am I right? For fear of them being hurt, of them suffering or struggling, it bleeds into even other elements. I have more fear over my finances now than I've ever had before. I, I, before I'm like, ah, money will always be there. Now I'm like, is there enough for my kids to survive and go to college? I mean, it's just everything. Fear happens. I want to venture out on a limb here and say fear and anxiety may be quite commonplace for most of you. Over your finances, your family's safety and health, fear of your emotional state of your children, whatever it may be, fear exists in many ways. And what do you do when it happens? What do you do when you're fearful? I know what I tend to do. Often what a lot of people tend to do and what I might tend to do is in my nature, I tend to say, 
where there's more fear, where there's more anxiety, I need more control. Let me control what I can control so I have some semblance of like power over this fear, right? When I'm afraid, I like to get more control and take more power over it so maybe I'm, I can somehow trick my mind into not being as afraid because I'm controlling these little things, right? Maybe I can control my level of fear and it won't be as bad. Maybe I can control some of the things out there, some of the variables. Often when we fear, we don't trust God. Now, listen to me very carefully. When I'm, I'm not saying that the initial act of fear is wrong. I'm not saying it's a sin to feel fear. Not at all. Please do not hear that whatsoever. It is not wrong to feel fear or anxiety. Hear that. It's what we decide to do. How are we to choose to respond in our fear and our, in, our, in our anxiety that could lead us astray? Does that make sense? Our response to the declaration of whether we trust or don't trust God, when we try to lie for control, we try to people please, we try to make things happen in our own power opposite the will of God. That is where we go astray. Is that clear? Does that make sense? Hear me very clearly. The initial feeling of fear, the feeling of anxiety and worry is not the problem. The problem is when that leads you to make decisions that are contrary to the will of God. Do you get it? The fear is not the sin. The fear that often leads you to the sin of taking matters into your own hands, of people pleasing, of taking wrong shortcuts, and so much more. By committing these actions, ultimately all we're doing is saying that we don't trust you, God. That I need to be God. This is so real in my heart because sometimes my kids, I love them so much and I fear for them so much, I want to just control every bit of what they do. Like, I want to wrap, up in, wrap them up in bubble wrap and then let them only be seen by people I've background checked 50 million times. And even then, I want to be around them all the time. And even then, I want them to have only friends who I know will be nice to them and kind to them. And I want them to always, only be nice and kind to other people. And I only want them to hang out with these people. I mean, it's, it's, the temptation is there. Because I love them and I'm fearful of what could happen. But I need to realize that I'm not called to be God over my kids' lives. One, if I was, I'd be terrible at it. But two, we have a better God who is God over their lives. My people, how should we respond in fear? How should we respond? Let's see what Saul should have done. Saul, in his fear, should have trusted and waited. He should have said, yes, the Philistine army is powerful and I am afraid. It's okay to say I'm afraid. It's okay to even go talk to Sammy. And say, Sammy, yo, I'm Sammy, I'm afraid. He would have been okay with that. Because him and Saul are tight like that. It's okay in your fear to tell people, to open up your heart and say, I'm afraid. I have anxiety. I'm afraid for my children. I'm afraid for my job. I'm afraid for my finances. It's okay to feel afraid to share it with others. As a matter of fact, it's good to share it with others. But in my fear, God, I will choose to trust you. I will choose to wait for you. He was called to believe in spite of people leaving all around him, in spite of losing people. Like Gideon, who took just a lowly number of people to battle, he needed to believe that with God, the numbers don't matter. He needed to believe that it didn't matter how many troops he had left. It didn't matter if he just belonged and believed and followed the will of God. He needed to believe that our God is a mighty warrior, that he will lead the victory. 
He needed to stay true in doing it God's way, not a shortcut way, not the wrong way, not the human way, but God's way. Ultimately, he needed to trust the real king. Now, people, it's the same. What do you do when you're afraid? You acknowledge your fear. You can say, God, I'm afraid. You can tell your brothers and your sisters, I'm afraid. Help me to choose to trust and wait on God. One of my favorite prayers of all time is the, is the prayer of the centurion who says, I believe, help my unbelief. One of the most profound prayers in all the Bible is that one prayer, is I believe, help my unbelief. This is where you need to cry out, God, I'm afraid, help me trust you. You need to choose to believe in spite of people leaving you and saying, God, it's not about the people to please. I just want to please you. I don't want to be enslaved and shackled to people pleasing of other people. I just want to please you. And you need to walk in God's will. Don't cheat. Out of fear, don't cheat. Out of fear, don't rob. Out of fear, don't lie. Right? Those fear, those fear could lead you to do those things, right? Fear of your finances could lead you to cheat and to lie. Fear of your security could cheat you make you charge and blame other people. But out of fear, don't do things that you know are contrary to the heart and character and the will of God. But trust the king. Trust the king who wins the battle. Now, people, I need to throw this in here real quick. Please don't miss this. I'm not saying that your fears won't happen. Do you hear me? Hear me very well. Please don't miss this. I'm not saying that if you trust God that your fears will not happen. I'm not saying that. They very well could. Your fear of your child getting hurt could happen. Do you hear me? Your fear of your finances being ruined, it could happen. I'm saying that those things you fear may very well happen, even when you completely do the right thing, even when you trust God. And you're like, that stinks, Lawrence. What are you talking about? Like, you're just saying, you should be saying to me, Lawrence, if I do these right things, if I trust God, that none of these bad things should happen to me. That's what I want to hear, Lawrence. And I'm telling you right now, you know this world, that is not true. Am I right? It's not true. They very well could happen. And I know that stinks, it's not what you want to hear, but it's true. There's a chance that you lose your finances. There's a chance your child could get hurt. There's a chance that what you fear the most could happen. Trusting God doesn't exempt you from these things. But trusting God allows you to be able to live through any circumstance because you know that God is with you and that he's producing something even when we don't exactly know what that is. Let me say that again. Trusting God allows you to be able to live through any circumstance because you know that with God, that God is with you and that he's producing something even when you don't know exactly what that is. That greater, that greater thing might not be better health or any success in the world, but the most better thing that God has in store for us is intimacy with him and being formed in his image. A former mentor and pastor of mine once shared some wise words with me as he shared some of the hurt that he experienced. At the time we were talking, he was talking to me and he was experiencing difficulties in the church and dealing with very difficult people. And I say that, honestly, people were just attacking him. And it was a hard time. I asked him how he was holding up and how he handled being honestly hated by some vicious people in the church. It was difficult for me to comprehend because I'm a people pleaser and it hurts me to not be liked and not be able to please people. So he said to me that he has to trust God at this time. He has nowhere else and no one else to turn to. 
he went on to tell me that he lost his first child at, when that child turned 16 in a car accident. He shared with me that his worst fear that he could ever had came to be. He lost his precious son. Pastor David said that he didn't have the capacity to make sense of it at all. But he had a choice to trust God or not. He said he couldn't imagine a life or a world where there was no purpose or hope, so he chose to trust God, and that changes everything. He said he experienced peace and started to understand the gospel in a real profound way. And so when we were discussing his current turmoil and struggles in the church, he shared with me that if I can trust God with my son's death, then I can trust him with this. He said that what was produced in me might just be scratching the surface of what God is doing. He doesn't know, but he has to choose to trust. What other option do I have, he said. My people, we all fear. How do you respond to that fear? We be like Saul and take matters into your own hands, say that I'm gonna be God here. I'm gonna people please. I'm gonna rely and control what I can control because that little bit feels a little bit better. Or will you trust God? The one who knows you, loves you, and calls you the incredible purpose. He isn't promising that everything will go the way you want it to go in this world. He isn't promising that if you trust him that none of your fears will be realized. They may. He is promising that he'll be with you through it all. That he'll work all things for the good of those who love him. And he's promising that there is a purpose and reason for everything. Where do you turn to when you're fear? Who you chose to trust in? That is our decision when fear comes our way. When we learn from the lesson of King Saul and say, I choose to trust in the God of Abraham, of Moses, God of our ancestors, and the God who loved so fully and expressed himself so clearly that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross, to be a servant to all, and to rule a kingdom that was conquered through death and servanthood, and to be part of a kingdom that will reign forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We acknowledge that we feel fear and anxiety often. And we acknowledge that we often don't know how to handle, where to turn to, what to do in those times of feeling. And we ask, Lord, that you show us. God, we believe, we trust. Help us to trust you more. Help us to turn away from trying to please people, to find our ways of controlling things. Instead, may we turn to trust in you. Trust in your goodness and in your character. Trust that even in hard times, even in the worst of times, you are still, there is still purpose in everything. Thank God that you are still our king and you are good. So may we give kingship over our lives and over this world to you. You are our king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.